Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It's Tuesday, the 26th of October. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, it has been 11 days since 17 Christians serving Christ in the nation of Haiti were abducted and their kidnappers are demanding $17 million for their release. Uh, every single day, uh, Christian Aid Ministries, which you can find at christianaidministries.org, posting daily prayer updates. And the invitation is to pray with us. So yesterday's update says this. It's now the 10th day since our workers and loved ones were kidnapped in Haiti. And today we have a heartfelt message for you. Please don't stop praying. Don't grow weary. We sense a great need for your prayers. Your prayers are a vital part of resolving this situation. We don't know how God will choose to bring resolution, but we desire that his will be done. They have a 24-7 prayer chain. Uh, that they are inviting people to join. And highlighted there is James chapter 5, verse 16, uh, part of which reads, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. They say the 17 hostages need your prayers for endurance, for faithfulness, as they continue to be held captive. Pray for their families as they wait for the situation to be resolved. Pray that the gang members would turn to Jesus and enter the kingdom of God. One family member of a hostage expressed a desire that the gang members, quote, follow Jesus by turning their lives over to him and to love and to serve the men, the women, the children of Haiti. And they say, thank you for walking with us and lifting this difficult situation to God. Please don't stop praying. You can uh, connect with them at ChristianAidMinistries.org. When I reread that verse this morning from James chapter 5, I mean, I realize it's just the second half of the verse, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The the words effective and fervent and the word righteous are all important there. So effective and fervent describe the prayer, but righteous describes the man. And I, I want us to consider those words for a moment. Righteous is the man whose prayers are effective and avail much. Um, But effective and fervent prayer is described there as well. And so I want to talk about fervent or earnest, effective prayer. There are um, different words in the Greek uh, used in the New Testament that are translated as fervent or earnest in relationship to prayer. And they really capture three different images. One is um, uh, ektonos. And so that is to stretch out your hand, so to earnestly to pray earnestly is to stretch out your hand. It's a pleading posture. I'm sure that you can you can feel your hands reaching right now to God in earnest prayer, fervently, without ceasing, reaching to God. Nothing casual, nothing relaxed about fervent prayer. It's the way that prayer is described in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, the, the earnest, fervent prayer of the church for Peter when he was in prison. 
Another word is um, sophronos, and that is to be sober-minded or serious, literally in your right mind when you're praying. Um, and uh, and then there's another word, a third word that's used, and this is the word that James uses, <clears throat> and it's it, it is energeo, right? It, it, you can hear the word energy in it, right? All right, so it's it, it's a fervent prayer is an energetic prayer. It's a prayer in which we're working, we're sweating. Um, it, it's the the fervent prayer of the righteous. James uh, uses the prophet Elijah as the exemplar here of the one who prays earnestly, whose prayer is effective. And so when we read James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, if we were to read on to verses 17 and 18, we would hear this description of Elijah who, quote, prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. And that's the effective part that James is pointing to. So let me encourage us today to pray earnestly for our brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically for those held captive in Haiti, but for all held captive in various situations uh, under persecution around the world. Let our prayers be earnest and fervent as we demonstrate our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, let us stretch out our hands. Let us work in prayer. Let, it, let, our, let our prayer be sweaty. Like, let us fervently pray to the Lord our God today with a heart of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. First up this morning, we've got uh, Nick Pitts. We're going to catch up on a number of headlines of the day. We're also going to ask the question, what will a culture be like when being married will be the minority? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. My brother Nick Pitts is back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He is a newlywed, and he is uh, not here to report today on um, on how great his marriage is, although we're always happy to hear that. Good morning, sir. Uh, good morning, Carmen. You know, I'm a wily veteran of marriage for approximately <laughs> three weeks now, and I'm happy to report three things in particular. One, my wife is absolutely brilliant. Two, she has questionable decision-making skills in choosing me. But three, I am exceedingly grateful for this lack of judgment and uh, choosing. <laughs> on her part, yes. And this yeah. great wisdom on your part. Okay, tell us, uh, what's one thing you've learned about each other in the last three weeks? You know, appropriate for Christian radio in the morning. Yeah, um, I would say... You know, we have very different rhythms of life and mm. uh, and there is I have a built in what we all know. Uh, we all know inherently know there is a selfishness inside of all of us. Hence, that's one of the primary drivers of sin, uh, selfishness, choosing, uh, choosing ourselves over choosing God. And I, I have found that to be accentuated <laughs> when living with another person. That is that has come to light in a much brighter uh, reality, um, both making it known through her words, but also just through my own actions, being aware of it. And so that's been a, a illuminating part, but it's also been pretty sweet as well. 
Yeah, so one of the first things that I feel like I learned when Jim and I got married um, was that I could no longer expect things to be where I left them. (laughs) It was the first time in my life, like as an adult, that I'd ever ever inhabited a space with another person and and come to find out, like they move stuff around, like they they eat stuff out of the fridge that you thought you were going to use later or like whatever. I mean, I just missed this mysterious reality that, yeah. Things were not where I left them. That was my that was a primary learner learning in the very in the very early days. Oh yes, my you know I I like to, I, I granted I'm not the cleanest person in the world. I am clean though, and I'm organized, and I have a certain order, and it's not it's not crazy. But it, I I realize I'm not the cleanest person in the world. Um, my dear wife has a different level of cleanliness than I do, and so that like you said, it does. There there <laughs> I call it dirt. I call it dirt tolerance. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have this, yeah, there's this graduated scale of dirt tolerance. And my sister is way, way, way less dirt tolerant than I am. But I come to find out and am less dirt tolerant than some other people. So there you go. You do you do yeah. find yourself on the, yes, on the graduated scale of dirt tolerance once you're married. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about married, marriage because um, you and I are both, um, are both learning that not only is marriage on the decline – but marriage or being married is soon going to be the minority. And I want to know how you think that changes not only culture, but the church. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one, just to just to go to the reality of the scriptures, right? We know that um, that singleness is a gift and singleness is a really good thing. It's the desirable end. Um, but and there has been a beautiful opportunity as well with marriage. Um, when you find a particular person that you can extend your kingdom impact through marriage and finding a wife is a very good thing, is what the writer of Proverbs would say. So we're in this we're in this juxtaposition of understanding that singleness is a gift, one, but then also, too, marriage is a, a really good thing to be able to be a living embodiment of uh, the mysterious relationship of Christ and his church. So understanding that is the base foundation. Then, two, seeing the reality of what we're seeing today is that we uh, marriage is the primary conduit through which children are brought into the world, through which they're nurtured in this world and brought up as virtuous citizens that hopefully have the fragrant aroma of Christ upon them. And unfortunately, what we're starting to see is that as the marriage rate has gone down, we're starting to see the birth rate has gone down as well. And, and that can be problematic. To say, um, to say the least, right now, being one particular point. Yeah, and I think that for churches, um, paying attention to marriage trends and obviously trends related to birth rate as well, um, how we do ministry, how we talk about the family, how we structure um, programs how we anticipate who's going to need what kind of support, not only today, but in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, single people need a network of relationships, um, and they need the church to be a family in ways that married people with families have not traditionally needed the church to be a family. So I think there is an opportunity here. Completely agree. There was actually a fascinating study I read. Um, I believe it was it was two days ago. Uh, it was put out by Barna. And again, it's just highlighting this loneliness epidemic that we all find ourselves in right now. That 25 percent of uh, 25 years ago, uh, the average American had a little over three friends. Now that number has dropped to a little under two friends. And there's really no difference that's happening within the church as well. 
you would assume that when someone joins a church that join a spiritual family, loneliness would not be a part of their story. And that's just that's just not apparent. And what we're seeing with the drop in marriage rates, at least anecdotally from my perspective, is we're starting to see that a lot of churches began to understand that they were primarily set up to serve families um, and that singles were just a byproduct. They weren't necessarily, um, they were given short shrift when it came to ministries and opportunities within the church. But anecdotally, from my perspective here in Dallas, as well as my friends that are largely organized around in the South and in New York, what I'm starting to hear and see is that churches are beginning to see and adapt as they beautifully can do and often do to this under this understanding that there's just more singles and there's more of a need to be the spiritual family of God. Whether you are married or single, we all need each other because we are one family. Hmm. Amen. All right. Uh, Nick and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask him a question that is provoked by um, by a headline. Um, for Christians, is it good to die of COVID? Is it a good thing? Yeah, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome to the First Church of Mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. No matter who you are, no matter All right, I have so many opinions and thoughts about this topic, and so I'm going to let Nick Pitts offer his first. Uh, I have read a piece by Joy Pullman in The Federalist entitled, For Christians, Dying from COVID or anything else is a good thing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I respect Joy. I, um, I'm, I'm friends with some individuals that work at the Federalist. I, I'm not quite sure where they were going with this, and so I don't want to insinuate. We'll just kind of let the article speak for itself. So Joy Pullman at the Federalist um, is arguing to a certain degree for dying from COVID is a good thing. She writes that, quote, it's time for Christians individually and corporately to repent for the way we and our institutions have responded to the COVID-19 outbreak, close quote. Um, She has said that adopting mitigation efforts to stop the spread of the virus or lower the chance of contracting the virus as marks of weakness. So getting the vaccine, uh, wearing a mask, socially distancing, those are all marks of weakness, according to her. And then she contends that, quote, the Christian church has always faced a strong stronger prospect of suffering and death because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who entered are many. We're instructed to be not driven by consensus and social comfort, but the truth is God has given it to us in his word, close quote. And so she's almost adopting a, a live and let live, just whatever may come, may come. And it's with this this type of thinking in this theology that God numbers our days, this reckless abandon to not take his common graces of medicine, to not take his common graces even of a seatbelt. And we just go, well, if God wants me here, he'll have me here. I can just drive 100 miles an hour down the road and without a seatbelt. It just it, it really just doesn't make sense. And I don't know if it comes from I'm sorry, I'm just ranting. I don't know if it's coming from a place right now that is so um, just hesitant towards taking the vaccine or hesitant towards vaccine mandates that you're just you're at a, you're trying to develop a theology whereby you can shun the common graces and just and just recklessly live without abandon. I just, I'm not sure about that. But. Yeah. So the so don't don't be going all crazy on Nick and I. This is this is not um, advocacy one way or another. This is um, uh, this is our saying um, that as Christians, in the same way that if martyrdom comes our way, we recognize that um, we're, we are not going to 
uh, we're not going to bow the knee to any but Christ. We're not going to deny Christ, and even in the face of uh, of imminent death um, for His name, like He tells us that that may come. But we're also not supposed to seek it. And so um, there's a um, there's there's a part of this conversation that I feel like uh, we need to raise when we you know we could easily quote the Apostle Paul here, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Yes, but Paul. Um, took what came his way, but he did not seek out, uh, you know, opportunities to be slain. I mean, Jesus gets out of Nazareth when they are seeking to kill him. Um, and so I think that when we talk about being pro-life, we need to expand, you know, what that means. And if I'm pro-life, then I'm pro-life for every life, and I'm pro-life for all of life, and I'm pro-life for life. Like, I fight the curse, I fight the enemy. I fight the one who um who comes to kill and to destroy. Um and so um I'm I'm thinking that Paul reminded me just before uh you and I came on air that uh Abraham Kuyper actually talks about um this in in relationship to cowpox. And so I do think that there, you know, there's some really thoughtful theologians in the past who have talked about these issues and and these ethical concerns and um, you know, and we need to revisit some of that teaching instead of just having the whatever the most hysterical conversation is um, of our particular day. All right, I have one more question. I know we're okay. like so close to being out of time, but I have I have to ask this question because you live in Dallas, and so I suspect it's hard for you to root for the Houston Astros. But the World Series starts tonight, and they're playing the Atlanta Braves, and so I just are you rooting with me or against me? Oh no, I am. You know, I grew up in Tennessee. In Tennessee, it was five miles to the five hours north was the Cardinals, or five hours south was the Braves. So you better believe I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be yelling for David Justice, Otis Nixon, Mark Lemke, the '90s Braves, and John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin. I'm 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 doing the tomahawk chop over here. Those are my and Braves too. The 1990s Braves. Those are my Braves too. I don't know any of the names of the people playing today, but I'm rooting for the Braves because of the 1990s. There you go. That's crazy, isn't it? Um, I know. I'm gonna. Beating on my garbage can against the Astros <laughs> and they're cheating. Let's go for ethical behavior above the board thinking. Let's go break. All right. We um we have two minutes. Um what okay. what should we be thinking about and how should we be thinking about the situation with Alec Baldwin? Oh my goodness, it's just absolutely tragic. There's been um uh, for listeners that are aware, uh, Alec Baldwin was involved in a tragic accident on Thursday night in a shooting on a movie set. Uh, he thought he had a prop gun. In reality, it was a live gun and ended up taking a, a, a crew member's life. And just tragically, there has just been some prominent Christians that have responded in unchristian-like and unbecoming ways, um, just a taunting. Um, essentially, they're wanting to extend it appears as though kindness and uh, comfort is only extended to those that are of political like mind. And, you know, this is a, a, a great opportunity for us, one, to realize the brevity of life. Uh, no moment is uh, our next moment isn't guaranteed. And so we need to be cognitively aware of the fact that we have we, we only have this moment that we're given to us and we should see it as a precious gift from God. The second is to realize that there are a lot of people hurting right now that aren't like mm-hmm. us. And it's a beautiful opportunity that though they may not think like us, we have an opportunity to extend kindness to them because that's exactly what our God has done to us. We were all sons of disobedience, children of wrath, enemies of him, yet God in his kindness and grace was pleased to reveal his son to us. 
and, and kindness was what led to repentance. And this offers, offers an opportunity for us, for those that might not think like us, for us to extend kindness to them in hopes that in the midst of this tragedy that we can see the glory of God and we can be the conduit by which that glory can be extended into this world. And the idea of trying to score political points right now out of this tragedy is just uh, unbecoming of our Lord. Yeah. Thank you. Well said. So well said. Uh, We had listeners yesterday who were specifically, you know, praying for Alex's brothers that um, that as men of Christian faith, they would be now in a position, you know, to share that faith in a winsome way with their brother. Um, So I'll just echo that prayer as well. Nick, as always, thank you so much, brother. We love you. Love you all. Y'all have a great day. You too. That's Nick Pitts. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. We'll be right back. All right. I appreciate it when uh, there is some creative thinking going on in Washington, D.C. So I am watching with with great interest this uh, this approach, this idea um, that private groups of individuals across the country um, can apply to sponsor Afghan evacuees. So the Biden administration is set to unveil this program on Monday. It would allow groups of private individuals to sponsor Afghan evacuees and help them resettle in communities across the United States. And so, um, you know, I want to say that there's positive, creative thinking going on. And maybe uh, you want to check out this conversation about sponsor circle programs, this joint initiative um, that they're working on. Uh, There are already actually online applications, even though the program hasn't been um, unveiled yet, which is kind of a curious way to do it. But there you go. Creative thinking related to Afghan evacuees. We're going to talk with Luke Moon from the Philos Project next about the hundreds of Americans who are still in Afghanistan um, and the prospects of getting them out. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Are you surprised that your compliant child has grown up to be a rebellious teenager? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When talking with out-of-control teens who are raised in a Christian home, I often hear them say this, my parents expect way too much of me. Parenting with over-the-top expectations only results in completely deflated teens. They can't do it. I'd like to challenge you to stop and think. Are your expectations for your child too high? Is loving an A student easier than loving a C student? What would it look like for your teen to perform at your high levels? Check your motives and see if you're giving your child a reason to rebel. There's always time to change and rebuild the relationship. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. Our friend Luke Moon is back. You can follow him on, on Twitter at LukeMoon1. You can also find him at philosproject.org. Um, let me also direct you today to Providence Magazine, providencemag.com. There are two pieces posted there that I think are must-reading. Um, one is a discussion of forced labor in China that is going to help you better understand what's going on there. Um, and another is a piece on how Iran is an inspiration for the Taliban, both in terms of governance and 
human rights, um, which obviously <clears throat> is a perspective on things that you're not going to get um, if you're just operating out of a Christian worldview and you don't know what it means to operate out of a worldview contrary uh, to the one that we share in Christ. So both of those and lots more you can find at ProvidenceMag.com. Hey, Luke, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. It's good to be with you. Thank you. It's good to have you. So there are um, hundreds of Americans still in Afghanistan who want to leave. Bring us up to speed on on what we know um, about this and uh, what are the prospects for getting them out? Well, the State Department says they have been in touch with 363 Americans uh, who are still trapped behind enemy lines, if you will. And uh, 176 of those want to leave. They're like, you know, anytime now you can you can you can let us, you know, come come help us. And uh, the State Department supposedly is working on that. And and but I suspect also the Taliban doesn't want to let them go. I mean, I, I can imagine if I was the Taliban that there would those are are very important political pawns in, you know, coming up at winter. You know, we've talked about how the fact that it's likely that there's going to be food and fuel shortages in Afghanistan and Afghanistan in the wintertime. I mean, that's why there was a fighting season in Afghanistan uh, is is because the passes between the mountains get closed and there's a lot of snow and it's just going to be a real mess come wintertime. And uh, so so it's I, I suspect that that uh, these these Americans will be used as as uh, leverage uh, points uh, mm. for the Taliban. OK, now, for those of us who um, haven't been to the region and don't understand what you just said about there's a fighting season um, because passes between the mountains get filled with snow in the winter, that means that in the winter is not the fighting season, correct? Because the passes are closed up and tribal right. communities are naturally separated from one another. Okay, just, just, I'm just making sure I understood that. You know, it's it's in my, you know, it's, it's early for me, Carmen. I mean, I, you're the earliest person I get up for. Um, <laughs> Uh, we totally appreciate that. No, it's just helpful. I just wanted to clarify because, you know, um, you know, it could be the alternate could be true that in the winter, you know, we're all trapped on the same side of a hill. And so we all fight with each other. But your point is, no, they're actually naturally separated from one another when these um, narrow, narrow passages between these uh, mountains are filled with snow. And therefore, it keeps these tribal groups separated. That's correct. And it's one of the reasons it. why were so upset about the timing of the withdrawal from Afghanistan was that it we did it in the midst in the like the height of oh. the fight right because we made it a, we could have we could have slow walked that and got everybody out that needed to get out um because it just would have been harder for the taliban to operate i mean they tend to be in the smaller villages and smaller towns and and Afghanistan, I mean, if you've seen any movie on on Afghanistan, any of the, you know, the battles, <laughs> movies for Afghanistan, it's it's a very mountainous, lots of, you know, high, sharp mountains. It's it's not a it's not just a wide open plains kind of place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not uh, Kansas. It's, right. It's not Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, OK, so. Important. Yeah. 
Let's um let's turn to China. I, I know we have so much to talk about today. Um, so what are um, what are the headlines out of China that you think we should be paying closest attention to? Well, I, I think it's important this this uh, launch of the uh, hypersonic glider that caught. I mean, anytime you know a major <laughs> power, one that is in in you know probably the greatest threat to American power right now is is China, and they launched a hypersonic glider. And it wasn't just a, you know, it wasn't a glider like, you know, uh, for fun on the weekends. <laughs> you know, like you could put a nuclear uh, uh, warhead on the tip of this or something else. It goes uh, five times the speed of sound and it goes uh, super high up, but not as high up as, you know, most of our nuclear weapons are, are what are called ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missiles. They go up into space and then come down. You know, if you remember the old uh, Superman movie where he collected them all and threw them in the sun. Um, but they, that's, you know, that's the old tech. The new tech is basically, you know, a very, very, very fast uh, missile that can fly uh, be launched from a, from an airplane, be launched from other other means, and it surprised. This is a ter- terrifying thing. It surprised U.S. officials, right? Like, oh, well, like, wow, those guys could do that, you know? And and all the while, you know, the U.S. military is is berating Americans on on uh, you know critical race theory and you know uh, naming a, a a transgender person. Uh, the latest admiral. That's that's where the U.S. military is focused, and and China is making tech that is catching Americans off guard. That's scary to me. Yeah, that that's scary. Um, I also think it renews the conversation, particularly at this this low level of uh, of flight that the, the the hypersonic the glider would be moving. Like it takes less, way less time. Not just because it's moving so fast, but also it's moving at a much lower. Um, uh, distance above the earth, um, you know, creating the possibility of of detonating a weapon in close enough proximity to uh, to the ground that like, right. I mean, I think we're talking about uh, not just a nuclear event on the surface, but one above the surface that would actually disable us from doing anything electronic or related to computers going forward. And that would be devastating. And so I think there's so many conversations here um, to be had. And not that Luke and I are uh, are fear mongering this morning, but we are trying to be very, very sober about the technologies being developed by people who are enemies of the nation in which we live. So um, I think that right. some so, sobriety is necessary. Um, and I think that's what you're trying to say. Like, right, we're very busy here in the United States having um, conversations and wringing our hands about things that um, other people around the world are moving forward on um on ways to actually eliminate us, and we are uh, instead yeah, focusing on whether or not Target can have uh, different sections for boys and girls to shop. Right, right. And, yeah, and yeah. exactly. The thing is, is that this is part of the, you know, the shift that that started actually under Obama, and then Trump, it, like, like really dialed into it, and and Biden has continued that. Has been the shift of American focus out of the Middle East into uh, basically 
the the Pacific, the the Western Pacific, China, and 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 the threats out of China. That has been the shift in the American military since the Obama administration, and and that's one of the reasons why the U.S. pulled out of out of Afghanistan, out of Iraq. It's like, why are we focusing on these countries that have that are not really existential threats, right? Mm-hmm. The China is an existential threat, and we got to. You know, for and there's a lot of ways, not just with hypersonic gliders, that China can make our my, lives miserable. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's they are our, our you know, our number one uh, ag, in, exporter. To, uh, they, they, we import mostly from China. They're they own a lot of our debt. Uh, there is, but they can also shut down the the sea routes through the South China Sea and stuff, right? So it's a, it's going to be a long, drawn-out, I think, you know, wouldn't surprise me if, it, you know, this is like the return to the Cold War of the, of the you know, from the 50s through the, you know, late 80s, mm-hmm. right? That's, Absolutely. That's in which we're entering. And into that, you have places like Taiwan and Hong Kong, uh, which are which are kind of you know falling victim to an, an increasingly enlarged and aggressive China. All right, so we have talked uh, before about things that China owns, not only 20% of U.S. debt, but a lot of U.S. farmland and coastal ports. Um, there's, there should be, we should be paying attention. It's, it's time to wake up if you haven't been paying attention to China yet. All right, Luke Min and I are going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, he's going to tell us what's going on in Sudan. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Luke Moon, you can find him at philosproject.org. You can also find him uh, on Twitter at LukeMoon1. Um, Luke, so we touched on Sudan yesterday because we didn't feel like we knew a lot. Can you tell us what you know about what's going on there today? So Sudan, there was a coup yesterday in Sudan. So backstory on Sudan, there was a there was a dictator of Sudan uh, you know, the, the guy, you know, there was, there has been, Sudan's been a mess for a long time. Uh, in the, in the nineties, 2000, there was a, there was the issue with Darfur, which is, uh, uh there was a genocide. It, it's mostly black Africans. So, so Sudan's interesting because the Northern part of Sudan is, you know, is more kind of Arab looking or Arab centric and Southern and kind of, uh, w- Western Sudan is more black African, right? And there's always been this divide between those two groups, right? Uh, the Arabs feel superior. They, you know, they, they, they take advantage of the black Africans. The African, black Africans push back and rebel, and they don't like to be treated badly, so they, they treat the Arabs badly, right? So it's, a, it's kind of a mess. It's a ginormous country, really big. Right. And so there was a dictator of of Sudan for a long time responsible for a genocide, the the establishment of the country of South Sudan, which was that black African Sudanese core. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting thrown out of power and a a kind of military and civilian government 
was formed uh, and was making peaceful strides. And, you know, they, they, they're part of the Abraham Accords and the U.S. took them off of the of uh, the terrorism list. And it was, it, you know, the, a, a new day had come. Well, yesterday, the old, well, not the old day necessarily, but basically the, the military was like, you know what, we're done with this whole, you know, military civilian sharing arrangement. Uh, it's just going to be the military from now on. Right. And so they threw the uh, current prime minister, threw him in jail, uh, blocked the streets um, and and they're in charge as of right now. Hmm. All right. And then um, we've we've lost um, our focus on what's going on in Turkey. I mean, I think we were paying attention to Erdogan for a long time. We we had really consistent information um, coming out of Turkey. What's going on there now that we should be paying attention to? Well, Erdogan is is one of those guys that is also kind of has like others in, in the region has visions of. You know, we were once an empire, right? And and uh, it's hard to, you know, for for leaders that kind of they can see themselves as being, oh wow, you know, like I can be the one to 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 restore our dignity, right? I mean, Putin's that way for for Russia a bit. The Ayatollahs in 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 Iran have that, and and Erdogan has that for Turkey. And there a, a few years ago there was. Uh, what he calls a coup attempt, and and supposedly it was you know led by this uh, you know billionaire who was actually living in the U.S. at the time, and uh, anyways that guy is now a political prisoner. The U.S. has been like you know hey you gotta let him go, and us and a bunch of other countries, particularly Denmark and and you know the United Kingdom and Sweden and like all those kinds types of countries, we all said like listen you got you gotta knock it off with the political prisoner stuff and and he's like actually no and the fact that you guys bring it up you're not in you're not invited to to do anything with us anymore right so it, it threw some shade into the you know the west versus turkey kind of relationship which is already complicated because it's complicated by the fact that you know uh turkey is is a member of nato right it's mm-hmm. the only it's the only kind of you know non-european well i mean i don't know you turkey's i guess is technically europe but it's you know it's it's a it's a different civilization than kind of the eu western europe civilization and um you know it's 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 a key city with lots of key uh ports it's a trading place it's it it matters in the economy it matters in the global economy. It matters in a lot of ways in in kind of a strategic sense, right? And um, and and Erdogan has this kind of I I'm going to restore the Turk the the Ottoman Empire, right? That's and he's he's kind of done that. Before. He's he's ready, you know he wore the outfit, carried the sword, and did all the stuff, and you know and they turned the Hagia Sophia um, from an you know it was it was the the church of the of of the the eastern uh orthodox church and and then it became a mosque and then it became a museum and now it's a mosque again right so he's he's doing these things that that are that are off 
often you can see that he has this vision of of restoring the the greatness of the Ottoman Empire once again. So, Luke, as always, um, your understanding of what's happening around the world, and you know, having been there, and you know, there's there's just a difference in understanding a community and its people. Um, you know, when you've actually been there. So, thank you for you know, setting foot in places around the world and making the connections that you make and then coming and sharing with us, um, you know, what what you know to be true about people in other places. I mean, you know, the, the world is a small place. It's an incredibly small place. And thank you for helping us to understand it better. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, that's Luke Moon. You can find him at the Philos Project. You can also find him on Twitter. He tweets at Luke Moon one. We'll be right back. All right, there's lots of headlines that we didn't have an opportunity to uh, to cover yet this morning. We will continue to plow through those um, of note in relationship to China. For those of you who have been asking, uh, no, the United States has not settled any uh, Uyghur refugees um, recently, and that is of concern. That is a headline uh, we're reading today as well. Um, all right, so are you in Sioux Falls? And a week from today, so next Tuesday... Do you have a minute? Uh, I'm going to be in Sioux Falls a week from today. That's November the 2nd. And at 4 p.m., some people are going to be having coffee with Carmen. So if you are interested in having coffee with Carmen, that'd be me, at 4 p.m. in Sioux Falls a week from today, all you do is text the word MEET, M-E-E-T, to 877-933-2484. Want to meet with me and have some coffee? In Sioux Falls, 4 p.m., a week from today, November the 2nd, text the word MEET to 877-933-2484. All right, in the next hour, um, we are going to have conversation with uh, Dr. Al Weir about cancer, um, cancer awareness. We're also going to have a conversation with, um, with pastor and writer Jared Wilson. The book is Love Me Anyway. I mean, you know, what's really everybody desire deeply to be known and being known then being loved. So we're going to have a conversation with Jared about his new project, Love Me Anyway. All of that is up next in the next hour. Let's be fervently praying and praying fervently. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.